everybody. Welcome to the April 27, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us for what is bound to be an historic episode, and the reason I'll tell you that is the very end of the episode. Let's get a quick take on Dave Krieger, the former editorial page editor of the Boulder Daily Camera, being fired this week after making a blog post criticizing the newspaper's owner, Alden Global. Uh, Patty is out of town, so Noelle Phillips from the Denver Post, and a proud member of the Denver News Guild, joins us. Um, I'm going to throw it to you first, Noel. Do you believe that uh, more pressure is going to be coming from Alden Global uh, in the face of what happened to Mr. Krieger? Yes, I do. Um, other Alden properties, especially the ones who are not Guild-represented um, newsrooms, this week started hearing from their editors and publishers to stop talking out about Alden Global Capital and Digital First Media and that they would not be running stories about the business in their newspapers. Um, as far as I can tell, we have not received that message in Denver, but we have guild protection, so we are allowed to speak out about what we see as um, mismanagement and unfair practices toward our newsroom. But I, I feel that something up until the past month or so, they've always left us alone as far as editorial content. Mm -hmm. And um, since the Denver Post Rebellion on our perspective, Sunday Perspective section, there's been a fear that they might decide they need to get involved a little more, which would be bad news for Denver. David Copel of the Independence Institute and DU Law School. When we see a move like this, is this going to add more, is this going to chill more dissent, or might this actually stoke the fires a little bit because of the pretty drastic move? Well, it's to ensure that no dissent appears in any of the Alden properties. So if you want the news about the news, you can't go to the Denver Post or the Boulder Daily Camera or whatever. You know, you, you think uh, online letter, letters to the editor on the Daily Camera are going to be allowed to uh, address Krieger's uh, firing. And, and good for him. That was a really brave and, and gutsy thing to do and, and admirable. And he's a, he's a journalistic hero. And I hope that one day his uh, there's a drawing of him in the uh, Press Hall of Fame at the, uh, at the Denver Press Club. Uh, but Alden Global continues uh, to just uh, wreck local journalism. Uh, today it was announced that the cannabis, uh, one of the major features in the Denver Post, is going to be eliminated. And they covered wow. marijuana legalization in Colorado really well on both sides. They talked about problems like with pesticides and uh, being in, in some of the plants. And they also talked about, you know, kids who were coming here from out of state uh, to get medical treatment they, they couldn't get elsewhere. And so instead of actual coverage, they're just going to use their, their bots uh, to aggregate marijuana stories, which, of course, you can get anywhere from from someplace else. So uh, the, uh, Alden's doing everything it can to, uh, to destroy the Denver Post. Penfield Tate joins us, attorney at QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, Penn, do you think um, this is going to inspire possibly uh, a, a potential competitor, somebody out there that was already seeing the headlines about what's going on, but now there's it, it's a m b bit more aggressive. Is this an opportunity for somebody? You know, I, th I think it is, and we've talked about this on the show a couple of times. And number one, you have to hand it to Krieger and the, the editorial staff at the Post for speaking out against this problem. I, I, you know, a free press loses credibility if they criticize everybody else but their own situation. And so it's appropriate that, that they're writing. Uh, and, and we talked about before, it's not enough just for those within the press to comment on the issue. The community needs to stand up and come up with a response to that. So uh, it's a problem looking for a solution. 
I, I know there have been a number of conversations about a competitive opportunity, either a news, a new paper or taking over this one or trying to acquire this one. A hope, hopefully, a lot of options are being discussed and one comes to fruition. But, yeah, pretty soon we won't have a post, so it won't be a competitor. It will be the new daily uh, Denver Daily. Uh, rounding up the panel, making his debut on the show, Ross Kaminsky from 630 KHOW Talk Radio. I know I probably screwed up the order there, but I, I'm old school there, Ross. Uh, wrap it up for us. What, what did you? What were some of your reactions when you saw Dave Krieger fired for posting not what the posting what he said not in the Boulder Daily Camera, but on a blog post? Yeah, my first reaction, and having had uh, Chuck Plunkett on my show after he wrote what he wrote, was that Dave Krieger proved that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. He, he was told no before the editorial ran anywhere, and he posted it anyway. And I might have been fired anyway, but I, I think the thing's a mess. I think if you look at, uh, for example, coloradopolitics.com and the, sort of the Gazette family and Anschutz folks there, they look to be, in, in my mind, kind of seeing what this landscape might, might look like. So if I were going to look for a, a competitor, I might look there. I'd love to see a Krieger byline on, uh, on that uh, news site, paper, whatever you want to call it in, in the future. Denver Police Chief Robert White announces retirement this week, effective once his replacement is found. Chief White has led the department for six years, and his announcement comes in the heels of Mayor Hancock saying he would not be disciplined for his handling of two cases in 2016 and 2017. Noel, you have covered a variety of issues for the Denver Post, but including crime and uh, police issues. How would you uh, encapsulate Chief White's tenure, his six-year tenure here in Denver? Well, Chief White came in as a reformer. And so those guys that label themselves reformers and want to make change are always going to get pushed back from the rank and file. And that happened to the extreme here in Denver. He and the police union never got along. It was a constant fight. Um, he also didn't always endear himself to the community. He um, often would say he has some good ideas and he's done, made a t lot of changes at the Denver Police Department. And I think he is sincere about making reforms for the better. Mm -hmm. But a prime example of his style was when he decided to rewrite the use of force policy. And this is huge in a police department, especially in today's climate with um, community expectations toward police officers. And when they decide to shoot, punch, kick, tase, sp pepper spray a suspect, White wanted to rewrite it, and he did and said, here's my plan, and you can email me comment. Well, that did not go over in Denver at all. The community wants to be involved. And White eventually broke down. There was a panel. It's taken a year. And I'm not sure he ever learned his lesson. There are multiple examples of where he decided, said he wasn't going to do something, and then community pressure would make him do it. But at the end of the day, I think he uh, will be noted for a lot of changes he did make at the police department that ultimately are in line with modern policing. David, for 26 years, the community has been coming to Colorado Inside Out, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, to get uh, the inside views in of issues like this. When you saw the announcement of Chief White's retirement, what, did what came to you as the inside story, the, the real scoop? Is this really Jim just looking to retire at the end of a long career? I, I think it's, it might be characterized as somebody who's had a run and, and knows his time is up and, and, and it's time to move on. You know, the... Uh, the vote of no confidence from the police union and, and other things may have made him say that I've accomplished as, as much as I can, and you know I'm not going to hang on uh, and, and just be stymied in the future. I, I think he did have some successful reforms. You know the incidents of uh, police brutality 
which we've been talking about on this show for many years under many different mayors, you know, quite bad in many ways under Hickenlooper and, and Webb, uh, I think has gotten better. Uh, and, and that's just to his credit, and community relations haven't been perfect. There's some people who, who don't want to be satisfied, but I, I, I think he's, uh, he's improved, he improved the situation compared to what it was uh, when he came in. But I, I think it was also right in recognizing it was now time to let somebody else take the helm. Penn, where does Mayor Hancock go from here? Because before Chief White, there is, as David alluded to, there are, we heard a lot more about, uh, frankly, uh, the Sussex being beaten. We've seen video, all the different settlements. And that did improve, at least for Denver police. Um, but it was a controversial selection in Chief White. Does Mayor Hancock go for a uh, more traditional candidate that doesn't bring as much controversy? Or does he continue that trend that, in some ways, brought some improvements? Uh, well, uh, yeah. I think the unfortunate thing is he's already signaled that he wants, or at least he and the chief are talking about some an internal candidate, someone within Denver Police Department uh, to move up the ranks. And I think that's a mistake. Um, both Noel and David have, have talked about the fact that for all of his issues, and he, he was a, a man who had some issues, Chief White was a reformer and did... Um, try to make things better, particularly with respect to the Denver Police Department's interaction with the community, because that was the biggest problem it faced. It had lost credibility and legitimacy in the eyes of many parts of the community, so they couldn't effectively police the city uh, with that in place. I am not convinced that an internal candidate is going to continue those reforms and continue to cr improve those relations. A and the simple really strident opposition the union had to Chief White sort of signals that, and I think with some portions of the community, particularly the more progressive elements, they're concerned that we'll see a rollback um, to the days of Buster Snyder, to bring back an old name and some other folks, um, where <laughs> you didn't have to beat suspects, you just beat anybody on the street who mouthed off to you um, back in those days. And so I, I think the mayor would be well advised to continue this trend, look for a good candidate from outside of the city who can cut, sort of come in, get a fresh start, and continue some of these reforms because we're still not within the entire Department of Safety. We're still not where we need to be. Ross, this didn't seem like great timing for the mayor. It could be completely unrelated, but we had a, issues about saying he wasn't going to be disciplined, but it was unprofessional behavior. Uh, what does this mean for the city when the police chief in this kind of, uh, for a six-year tenure, announces his retirement like this? You know, for me, I, I think... If he's a, a really focused reformer, sometimes you just realize you're up against something. The establishment means something when you really think about that word. It's hard to be a reformer no matter where you are unless you're a true superhero. I, I don't have a lot of great positive or negative to say about, about Chief White. I think he was a guy who came in to try to do a job. To me, the interesting part will be what does Mayor Hancock want to do going now that we're only about a year away from another election? Um, he's probably going to want to try to avoid controversy in whatever comes next year. Makes sense. The primary ballot continued to evolve this week as Doug Robinson was ruled eligible for the GOP gubernatorial race, while the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that U.S. Representative Doug Lamborn did not qualify for the GOP primary in CD5. Lamborn is appealing the ruling to a federal court whose decision may impact a Colorado law requiring those who gather petition signatures to be Colorado citizens. Excuse me, Colorado residents. David, uh, what did you think of uh, Representative Lamborn's legal move going to a federal court? Well, he's not the first U.S. Represent incumbent U.S. representative who's, have, 
who's failed to qualify for the ballot with a uh, petition snafu, uh, but it, it doesn't speak well of, of planning overall. Um, the case of Meyer v. Grant, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court on uh, ballot sign- issue petitions said that it uh, struck down a lot of Colorado rules about petition gatherers, but upheld and but said it's okay to require that the petition gatherers be residents, partly because it's easier to uh, have them around uh, to enforce the laws uh, about petition gatherers instead of being transients who go from, from state to state. And, you know, sometimes they get around that by temporarily establishing residence in a motel or something. Uh, so it seems uphill legally, but there have been lots of federal court cases where Colorado election laws have been ruled unconstitutional, so you can't discount Lambert's chance of winning completely. He can also, uh, at the end of the day, run as a write-in, and there are four other opponents on the ballot. So if it was just Lamborn versus one other guy, then maybe uh, he wouldn't be able to make it. But if you split the opposition four ways and he can get 32 percent uh, as a write-in, uh, I think he still has a fighting chance. Penn, you have run for office, maybe not, I don't think, for Congress. Uh, I haven't yet, run for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you, you have um, been in the shoes of needing to get onto ballots and what goes into it, and also strategy that David just mentioned. What is Lamborn's next uh, best move considering the primary is only a few weeks away? June 26th is Election Day. Uh, you know, uh, Lamborn's got an uphill struggle here. He may go to court. He might or might not prevail. Uh, but but what he's done is for those who are already on the primary ballot, he's given them the perfect platform and issue to, to run on. And it's basically you've got a six-term congressman who people are so dissatisfied with him, he can't get enough signatures to keep his own seat. Um, and, and I don't know why he didn't go the assembly path also. That would have seemed a, a slam dunk for him to go to, to the CD assembly and become the nominee there. But even that didn't happen. So if you're Owen Hill, if you're Daryl Glenn, if you're any of the other folks, you've just got to be grinning because you've got the incumbent. And you could argue he was so inattentive to the district and to his own reelection efforts that he's not qualified to be on the ballot. Do you really want this person representing you in Congress? He may win. He may get this overturned. But I think he's got an uphill sled. And if he runs as a write-in, I think he's done because the standard for the write-in candidate is so difficult. First of all, everybody's got to remember who you are. Um, and that's tough enough because even with some Congress people who are in good standing, a lot of voters don't know who you are. So they've got to remember who you are. Then they've got to put your name correctly on the ballot or close enough so that it's counted. And if there are some errors with that, the, the ballot is spoiled. You're not going to get that vote. So uh, he's in a tough spot now. Ross, is it too hard to get on the ballot in Colorado? Well, that's a good question. No, um, in this case, no. He just, you know, as Penn, I mean, how could a sitting congressman not get on it? I would like to address one thing. You asked why didn't Doug go to the uh, assembly. Two years ago, Doug almost was kept off the ballot by uh, a young woman, uh, Calandra Vargas, who nobody ever heard of. Um, so even in his own district, I think he's not tremendously popular. One other quick thing I'd add, there's an interesting legal move. And that is that uh, Owen Hill asked to intervene in this case because he didn't believe that the Secretary of State's office would defend the, the current state law well enough or strongly enough. So his side is asked to jump in in case Wayne Williams' office doesn't put up a good enough fight on the state law side. 
Noel, there's two parts of this uh, topic. I'll let you take your pick. We have, we've been talking about Lamborn, but here comes Doug Robinson, which I think some people can safely argue is among the only moderate running in the GOP gubernatorial primary. We thought he was off the ballot. He's actually on the ballot. Uh, so there's that and Lamborn essentially fighting for his political life. Take your pick. Um, I just, maybe both of them. I don't understand why this getting on the ballot thing is so difficult. The rules are laid out. You know you're going to run a campaign. It's not a surprise, especially for somebody like Lambor, who's a career politician. It was a six-term congressman. This is not new. Um, I just don't understand why these guys can't get it together either way um, and decide a path and then go make it happen because this these are the rules. They're set out. Everybody, other people manage to get on the ballot without hiccups and controversy. So I, figure it out, guys. Come on. It's not, it's not a surprise. I think that other people point is solid. I mean, you, you've seen Victor Mitchell, there wasn't any controversy there getting on the ballot. You had controversy with Doug Robinson. So right. I get your point. Teacher walkouts and protests continued this week, featuring at least 2,000 people from Jefferson and Douglas counties on Thursday, and expected crowd of over 10,000 on Friday. As we tape here at noon uh, here on Friday, we were still trying to figure out how many people showed up. But we do know that Governor Hickelooper said Thursday that he believes taxpayer bill of rights is the problem in regards to education funding. Penn, we'll start with you on this one. And I guess I was a little confused. Well, I wasn't confused politically when Governor Hickelooper mentions Tabor. But what nobody has mentioned to me, maybe I've missed it, um, is Amendment 23, if I have that number right, which was supposed to guarantee education funding at a little bit above inflation, and that was going to save the day. Uh, no one's mentioned how that, that was put in the Constitution and that whether it's helped or hindered or done anything at all. So is, is the whole idea of funding and how we help teacher pay and everything else that goes into education in Colorado, is it, be, is it been given a fair shake in these protests? Uh, it is, but, but in broad brush strokes, and, and nobody's talked about the real issue. First, uh, a shout out to the teachers who do have this, the courage of conviction to speak up, stand out, and, and talk about what should be our highest priority in this community, which is educating young kids so that they can become productive members of societies rather than something else because they don't have a high school education. You want to keep a kid out of prison? Get them educated because the vast majority of people in prison don't even have a GED, number one. Number two, you know, and viewers, please don't go to sleep, but the problem with funding education in Colorado is really a three-part convergence of constitutional limitations that have left the budget in a mess. We start with the Gallagher Amendment, which changes the ratio of taxes paid by commercial and agricultural land versus residential property. Tabor then compounded that problem, which put an artificial ceiling on what you can spend on a variety of government needs, regardless of there being no new taxes or no increases in taxes. And third, Amendment 23 was intended as a response to Tabor to put more funding in K-12 education. But since its passage, because of political pressures that governors and legislators have felt, different statutory enactments have been put in place to limit or to change the initial wording of Amendment 23. So at the end of the day, you got a big fiery mess there, and it's difficult to figure out um, to find your way clear to, to fund K-12 education. But, but the, the overriding concern is we've got a disconnect in our values. Everybody can talk about I care about kids, but it's, it's simple enough to do it. 
you've got to put forth the ideas to change all of these constitutional provisions so you have the funding available. Ross, we see these protests across the country in different cities and states that can enact different changes. But in Colorado, as uh, Penn has uh, very well laid out, it's a much bigger mess, even if you want to make changes. Uh, what's your reaction to seeing these protests both last week and this week? Well, so first of all, the, some of the teachers protesting today, um, in my opinion, should be at the schools near where I live teaching my kids today. My kids should have been in school today, and they're not. Um, I'm very skeptical, to, to put it politely, that Tabor is the problem here. Uh, I think there are a lot of other issues going on. Uh, one of them, and really I think that the elephant in the room is para. And if teachers want to say they don't get enough salary and they need more salary because cost of living is going up in, in and around Denver, fine. Uh, but there's a, a finite amount of money, and Tabor's the kind of thing that keeps us from turning into California. So I think we need to look at the entire package, what's going to retirements, what's going to salaries, what's going to administrators, what's going to teachers. i got to say, I don't understand a quarter-million-dollar salary for a school superintendent. Uh, Noel, Ross brings up a good point. Many people have been bringing up administration as an issue uh, when it comes to teacher pay. What, what are some of the angles we're missing when we see just the headlines of the story? One thing that surprised me, I... And when I moved here and um, was hearing, learning about para, and I mentioned this to my husband the other night, and he's like, what? Is teachers uh, in Colorado depend on para for retirement? They do not participate in Social Security, so they're not going to get a Social Security check when they retire. And the expectation is, I, talked to, I covered a rally last week, and the teachers all said, look, I know I'm not going to get rich. I didn't pick this profession to be wealthy. I wanted to decent living, and then knowing that if I stuck with it for 30-something years, when I retired, I would have a secure retirement. And they feel that that's jeopardized with the way para is being handled in the state. Um, but that whole, like, not participating in Social Security, I didn't realize that they were so dependent on para. And, um, I don't know, they have a hard job, and a very important job, very important job. And so I... You know, good for them. I worked downtown, and this morning they are very loud. They're, they're causing traffic to be rerouted around Civic Center um, Park and making, their, making themselves heard. David, what's missing from the conversation from what we've seen so far? Douglas and Jeffco teachers uh, protesting at the Capitol is ironic because school uh, teacher salaries are set by the local elected school board. It's not by the state legislature. And the Jeffco and Douglas school boards are firmly under the thumbs of the teachers' unions who run the schools statewide uh, in most districts for the benefit of the union bosses and not for the quality of education of the students. Agree with Penn that education is the most important thing legislate in the government activity in the state. It's 47% of the state budget already. In the last several decades, Colorado has, when you account for inflation and population growth and all those things, it has more than doubled per-pupil spending in the public schools with close to nothing to show for it in improved education results. Shoveling more money at a failed system is not going to improve education. What does work in education? Charter schools, which are alternative public schools that are run by uh, individual buildings, by the families, uh, and are not subservient to the unions. Colorado's charter school students are number one in the country. They are better than every other state. We have a successful model, and it's not the model of kowtowing to the unreasonable, selfish demands of the Colorado Education Association. 
Clearly more conversation on this to come, but not tonight. Let's get to our very, very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. Patty is out of town, so Noel, you get the honors. Start us off. Well, I've got to go with uh, the daily camera firing um, Dave Krieger. That was, that's just a shame. Uh, in, on his, Dave made a blog post, and he said, Some things are more important than one's own personal interest as a lifelong journalist. Telling my readers the truth as best I can divine it is my reason for existence. Nothing matters more than that, and nothing would be more shameful epitaph than he betrayed his readers so he could keep his job. And then he goes on to accuse the executive editor and the publisher of the Daily Camera for doing just that and firing him. And I know that wasn't a local decision. That had to have come up from mm -hmm. Digital First Media, so that's my disgrace. David. House Speaker Crisanta Duran, who now has a bill that says in college disciplinary hearings, oh, it's okay for the student to have a lawyer, but the lawyer can't speak at the hearing. She's talking to rumored to be running for mayor. Could you imagine somebody like that who won't let the accused, you could have a lawyer who can't speak. Should that kind of person be in charge of the Denver City Attorney's Office, which prosecutes people? Would you trust the judgment of somebody like that in appointing judges? Penn. Uh, I agree with Noel. The, the Dave Krieger firing is, you know, yeah, the Krieger firing. Enough said. It's inexplicable. Russ. At the risk of uh, piling on, my disgrace is also to Speaker Chrisanna Duran of the State House for not allowing action on Senate Bill 1, the first opportunity we've had in a long, long time in Colorado to fix our roads without a tax hike. Time to say something nice about somebody. Let's do it rather quickly. Noel. Thanks to all the Denver Post supporters and the News Guild and local journalism supporters who've been making noise from Denver and other uh, communities where Digital First has papers. David. At the Independence Institute's Founders Night dinner last night, the Citizen Activist Award went to Laura Carno, uh, head of Coloradans for Civil Liberties. Among the many great things she does is run the FASTER program that helps uh, teachers learn how to protect uh, themselves and their students. Penn. Uh, to the protesting teachers, thank you for stepping up and drawing attention to the situation in K-12 education. Ross. Uh, uh, something nice to a non-human. I've got a new hobby, stepping outside my house for a minute before going to work each day and listening to the birds chirp. They make every day better for me. So thank you, birds. <laughs> I think that is, a, that is a, uh, one historic moment for today's show. I don't want to the birds have ever gotten a uh, Say Something Nice. Uh, the other reason that it's a historic night, this is our last episode we'll be taping in standard definition. We have exciting news that affects this show and then next week. We're doing a major equipment upgrade next week in our studio. And because will be literally under construction. We won't be able to tape a show next week. Instead, we'll be offering a replay of one of our favorite trips in the time machine back to 1876. So we'll be back on May 11th with a brand new look, thanks to your support. So thank you for making it happen. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Also, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much. Good night. Phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction, how's that function? I got three favorite cars that get more.